I personally, I don't focus so much on the cause of it. Um, I focus on what I'm going to do, Dope. right? What's my strategy immediately? Um, and we, we do some quick strategy planning and we figure it out. I'll tell you, for example, when, when Trump got elected um, that night, my wife and I, we sat and we said, okay, now what? Right? We can cry and you know, get on Facebook and all that kind of stuff, Instagram, or we can fill out a plan and execute because things are going to shift. And if you're not prepared, you're going to miss the boat. I like this episode of the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast is sponsored by Blacker Pockets. Blacker Pockets is an online urban real estate investing community designed to educate and inform you on the benefits of investing in the inner city, as well as provide you with the tips and strategies to successfully do so. You can find Blacker Pockets on Instagram at, at Blacker Pockets. Sellerfinancingonly.com. Do you own a home? condominium, apartment building, or land free and clear? Have you ever considered selling it? Well, not just sell it. You hold the mortgage and become the bank. Welcome to the world of seller financing. Instead of the potential buyer getting a mortgage from a bank or credit union, you give them the mortgage. You set the interest rate. The buyer pays you every month for 5, 10, 15, or 30 years, whatever you and the buyer agree on. Seller financing only. Join us today. So this is the Todd Capital Millionaire Podcast. This is episode 83. My name is Charles Oglesby, also known as Top Millionaire Founder, Director, Todd Capital Investment Club. We have over 300 members. We also have the Todd Acquisitions Real Estate Club, which has six rental properties looking to add a ton more next year, just looking to scale and level up all over the country. Um, we've been doing a lot of deals in Michigan, but I think we're going to start looking to just take advantage of other opportunities, which is the theme of this show around the country because I feel like with the, the speed and the size and the, the backing that we have in this group, we can be doing so much more, not just in the market that we're in currently, but throughout the country, helping people and providing affordable housing, which is the goal here. Make sure you all leave a rating and review, preferably a five-star review, like, comment. We love getting feedback on the episodes. It helps us curate better episodes. It also is just kind of, um, it makes us feel good. It makes us feel like we're doing good work over here and helping people. So yeah. definitely appreciate that. Uh, thank you guys all for tuning in. The purpose of this podcast is to share the stories of successful African-American business owners and investors so people can hear the stories of successful examples because they exist. We know that business and investing are the true keys to financial success and generational wealth. With us today, we brought back Charm City Buyers. We have one half of Charm City Buyers. His name is Khalil Ukta. Um, this guy is doing some dope stuff. It's so funny because the first time I had a conversation with him, them meaning both, it's like you hear so much, you see the wife so much, but you don't realize how dope the husband is. So <laughs> he's done a ton of stuff. He's one half of the team, but he also has an MBA. He's also working with uh, working in commercial real estate. He's worked on some pretty impressive projects. Um, worked with somebody who's been doing some impressive projects in the city of Baltimore. And he manages to do it while also running his business. So what he's going to talk to you guys about today is Opportunity Zones. This is something that's been kind of buzzing around social media, buzzing around Instagram, buzzing around Twitter. And we want you guys to have the proper information, not misinformation. And so we brought him here to have a real in-depth, raw conversation. So welcome to the show, man. Thank you. I appreciate it, Todd. Super excited to be here and to be able to share this information. So important because it's happening right now. Um, it has been happening right under, under people's eyes and ears. And um, it's good that, you know, you want to share the information with your listeners. Nice, nice. So can you give people a quick rundown of who you are as a person? And then we'll get into talking about real estate. Yeah, sure. So uh, we started with our residential real estate portfolio. When I say we, I mean, my wife, Kiara, and I, Charm City Buyers, in 2012. Um, quickly scaled up through all types of different creative financing uh, methods. If you can think of a creative financing method, we've probably done it. Um, and now we teach people how to, to, to do it. Um, so we've got uh, seven active projects right now that will be for sale projects. We've got over 20 rentals. Um, we provide property management services. We provide uh, construction management services. Um, and now we do this kind of thing over the last two years or so, um, as people have been tapping us and wanting to know more and more, um, 
development educational services. So uh, teaching others how to positively impact real estate and positively impact the community. We also, fortunately, um, have, have grown to love Baltimore, my home city, born and raised West Side Gwen Oak. Shout out to anybody who's listening over there. Um, and uh, we focus on our next generation of um, real estate developers through our next gen program. It's a 10 week course that teaches you the soup and nuts and everything in between about real estate development. Yeah. A lot of power in that introduction. I didn't know you guys were <laughs> managing seven projects at the same time. We talked yeah. so much about your rental portfolio, but we didn't know that you had current projects going right now. How do you manage that many deals at the same time? It's crazy how we do it. So first of all, I, I, I like to tell everybody off break, like, man, if you want to do community development, this broad scale thing, you got to start with family development and you got to start with yourself, right? You got to develop yourself and you develop your family, then you develop communities. So, I mean, getting married young, getting married early, one of the best decisions of my life. By far, one of the best decisions of, of my life. And that's- Before, before you go, you're going to talk about why that is, right? Because I'm curious. Absolutely. Wanna, yeah. Absolutely. So it's, um, it's multi-fold. Multi um, one, she's just a bomb. Like, she's a pretty dope person. <laughs> Two, um, you know, it, it, when I get tired, when she gets tired, one of us can pick up the slack. And that's just kind of nuts and bolts of it. But um, three, it's like, it's like this, right? So Todd, how, how many hours of sleep on average do you, do you get in the night? Maybe about six, six or six seven. Hours of sleep. Okay, well, we'll go with six, six, six hours of sleep. So in a given day, you can put 18 hours of hard work in on a day, right? And you get six hours of sleep. We're not including commute and lunch and all that kind of stuff. 18 hard hours of work. Well, Kiera and I, we can put in 36 hours a day of hard work based on those raw numbers, right? Because we wake up talking about it, we go to sleep talking about it. I trust her 100%. She knows everything in and out. She's a 50% across the board. Um, and it's just like, we, we just, we can put in more time than most other people because yeah. we're just in it. <laughs> it's just, I feel like it, it's so funny because I was listening to Erica Williams and she said that a lot of this stuff mm -hmm. is really just a math project. So it's like, what can you do with just you? Now, what can you do if you double that? And the cool thing about it is you guys are building the same company. Another cool thing about it is you're building just one company. Well, you guys are building a bunch of different brands within that company. But one of the points I was making on Twitter once is that if you and your wife work for two separate businesses, you can only build one career at two separate businesses. But if you're building the same company, then you're building just one successful company. It's a lot easier to build one thing successfully than two things independently. And it's like you said, it's like you can compensate when she's not there, but you can't do that on your job. If your wife doesn't want to go to work, she's going to get fired. <laughs> but on one day, if your wife doesn't want to go to work, you guys work for the same business, you own the business. It's just, you just comp, you just fill in for it. It's just business. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we've got, and it's, it's not just us two. I, um, I got to give a shout out and credit to those who support us as well. Um, and they know who, who they are. I don't have to put them on blast, but administrative support. We've got contractors obviously supporting and helping um, and trust us and see our vision and, and the, what direction we're going in. Um, and it's just a wide range of individuals, attorneys, accountants, the list goes on and on, bankers. Um, it's just a lot of people who believe in us. It, the development in general starts with yourself, right? You've got to position yourself mentally, physically, financially right. to be able to, to do this real estate development stuff. And then you can, then after you get yourself right, which I'm not 100% right, I'll tell you, but once you get yourself, you know, pretty close to the way, then you can impact your family, right? We have a small daughter, my wife and I, we can really fixate on the three of us and making sure that us three are solid. Then we can broaden it even further and say, okay, that we can impact this entire community. We can buy the block, for example, we can get that done. We can learn about opportunity zones and how the greater impact is going to spread itself across the entire U.S. and small cities. Um, from here until 10 years from now, <laughs> we can do those types of things. When I, said, when I had you guys on here last time, I asked you a question about a current event. That current mm -hmm. event was more social related. This one is more economic related. Okay. A lot of people saw the Aisha Selden post that was talking about burn investing and the drop in values and the land in Philadelphia, which she believes is going to kind of trickle down into the property values and then cause a correction in the property values. Are you guys seeing something that would indicate that there is 
a similar environment in Baltimore? And if so, what's your strategy? You know, it's funny. Um, anytime property values increase or decrease, really, um, it can be because of a wide range of reasons. There's never one reason why it happens, mm -hmm. right? So you can put it all on rising interest rates if you want to. You can put it all on um, the fact that we are currently um, you know, in an economy that's, that has been growing for the last 10, 10 years and people are assuming that it's gonna stagnate a little bit. You can put it all on um, Aisha's comments as well. Um, but uh, you know, whatever the overall reason is for, for property values decreasing um, and uh, fewer buyers being available, um, I, I personally, I don't focus so much on the cause of it. Um, I focus on what I'm gonna do, right? What's my strategy immediately? Um, and we, we do some quick strategy planning and we figure it out. I'll tell you, for example, when, when Trump got elected um, that night, my wife and I, we sat and we said, okay, now what, right? We can cry and you know, get on Facebook and all that kind of stuff, Instagram, or we can fill out a plan and execute because things are gonna shift and if you're not prepared, you're going to miss the boat. Right, right. I like that. I like that because so many people, what they'll do is they'll find the cause. And then they'll say, we found the cause. We found out what did it. Exactly. And then you're just like yeah. an informed person who hasn't really improved their life. And it's like, yeah. what is the purpose of information if you're not going to use it to impact your life? Yeah. I like that a lot because I think it applies to not just real estate. It applies to a lot of different things. I mean, as you go through life, you're going to hit bumps in, bumps in the road. You're going to get a tax bill. So it's like, are you going to look at the tax bill and say we have a tax bill or are you going to respond and say, well, I need to do this, this, and this to knock out that tax bill and to make sure I don't have that tax bill next year. So I think exactly. that's really dope. Exactly. And that's why I liked you on this show because I feel like your mentality is just like, yeah. And I was like, he's a cool guy. <laughs> I appreciate it, Todd. Yeah, man, I try, I try to think differently. I, don't, I used to, you know, being big into NFL and NBA and all that kind of stuff. I, don't, I personally, I don't have time for that stuff anymore. Right. Um, I, got, I got a family to raise. I got um, things to learn. Uh, I got communities to impact. Like sacrifices have to be made. One thing that I think is important because you guys are working on seven projects now and I'm not there yet, but what I've, what I've realized is the knowledge that I have now about the entire process is a lot more sophisticated than it was when I was just standing from the sidelines. And so I can only imagine where you guys have to be like thought wise, where yeah. you just see things completely different than the, the podcast listener or the book reader, or they're just the person who just casually does this. Yep. How have you seen your thought process change from when you first started doing it to now where you guys are doing multiple deals at a time? Man, I'll tell you, it's night and day. So we'll, we'll talk about the beginning first. You get that first project and, um, and you're super excited, right? You, you go to the closing, you're smiling at it, you celebrate that night and then you start working hard. And um, the first time you go to the construction site and everybody's working hard on all three floors or four floors or two floors, and they're looking at you like, hey, is, is this okay? Did, did, did I do a good job here? And you're like, oh, that feels good. Oh my goodness, ah, I did it. I'm here, I made it, right? <laughs> And then you fast forward six years later, like, like, like we have, and things have really started to pop off. Um, and you, those, those, those feelings don't come as, as easily anymore. On top of that, there's, we're at a place where we're, we're so focused on Baltimore um, and that it's, it's been our niche and it's helped us that um, in the political scene, um, on the um, tax credits, on um, kind of larger scale development opportunities where we're very plugged in and we're getting increasingly plugged in as we do this every single day, put, put our 36 hours in every single day. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's a different mentality where um, you're not so focused on, on um, like enjoying it. You're more focused on, okay, what's next? How am I gonna, how am I gonna do this a little bit better next time or this time even? Um, how can I connect with certain people and plug in how it's always thinking it's always strategy I'll tell you it's now that we're at a point where we're, we're essentially CEOs right we're CEOs of our company and it's a pretty you know, large-scale company we're growing fast and we're doing some some really impactful things the question is like how can we constantly stay at minimum one year ahead right um, how can we 
stay six months ahead, one year ahead? How can we continue strategically plan? What's the next step? There are so many things happening. This is why I'm not on social media a lot. There are so many back end things happening um, that like, like we can't afford for both of us to waste all of our time on social media all the time. Yeah. Right? We have to be able to, somebody's got to, both of us at different times, jump on and learn about opportunity zones and become a, a subject matter expert so that when the time's right, when Anthony Scaramucci decides he's going to announce a $3 billion fund and his article goes viral, four days later, we can put out a 101. Five days later, we can put out a masterclass, right? Because we've already done the research. We've been studying it because we, we had the, the, um, the network to tell us this is going to be the next big thing. Mm -hmm. um, you want to know about this before anybody else, before it goes mainstream. Let's, um, let's, let's, let's jump a little bit into some yeah. opportunity zones. Let's do that. Let's do that. So can you give us an overview, like the, the I guess, what do they call it? The 5,000 overhead view of opportunity zones. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is a lot of fun for me because I've been studying it for, you know, a little over a year. And um, it's, it's, it's good to finally be able to like unload it and let people know what's going on. So um, opportunity zones originally start, I'm, I'm gonna start with some history, then we'll go into what opportunity zones are and how, um, how they're structured and how they're gonna work and uh, where we are in current events. And then even we'll talk a little bit about some, some future activities that will happen um, over the next few months. So opportunity zones, the original conversation started under the Obama ad administration, um, empowerment zones, um, there are a few other different types of ideas that that popped up, but like anything of this scale, it takes time, right? It takes a few years to, to talk to the right people, to put the right proformers and formulas together to understand the policies and what the long-term impacts will be. Um, it's, it can't just be an overnight thing. But in December of 2017, under the Trump administration, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, so 2017, um, signed into law this Opportunity Zone stuff. And there were two sections of the, uh, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. Um, the first section, and this isn't critically important, but the first section is 14000Z-1, and the second section is 14000Z-2. Okay, and the first one basically says, this is what an opportunity zone is. Um, you know, this is how we're gonna define it. Right. And then the second section says it's a it's a, a little bit longer. First section is about a paragraph. The second section is five pages. And it says these are the mechanisms by which an opportunity zone will work, will be funded, will operate. This is how it's going to function. Right. Two distinct sections um, that happened in December of 2017. So from December of 2017 holiday season, so we'll really call it January 2018. From January 2018 until March 2018, every governor of every state had um, until the end of March to determine which of its low income census tracts would then be qualified as opportunity zones. Yeah. And they could only choose 25% of their low income census tracts. The other 75%, unfortunately, they couldn't make the cut. The only exception is Puerto Rico. And that's important because that's how I initially really got into this opportunity zone stuff. We'll talk about that later. Um, so by March, about 50% of every governor, my governor, your governor, everybody's governor, had chosen um, their, their low-income census tracts that would be opportunity zones. There's a 30-day extension to April. By about May, um, all opportunity zones had been created, and maps started popping out left and right. These are the opportunity zones. Get your opportunity zone map. Uh, a lot of misinformation, a lot of incorrect information, um, because like we all know, things get published really quickly. And everybody wants to be the first one out, right? right? Um, fortunately, we've been, we've been researching this enough. We've got a list of um, all 8,700, over 8,700 opportunity zones, a full list of it. Um, every low-income census tract is, is, is in that spreadsheet. Um, and there are two maps that I like particularly. I, I double-check both of them uh, as well as the list. So there are three different sources to make sure that what I'm looking at is indeed an opportunity zone. And it's so important. Um, and I'll, I'll explain why. Um, in a second. But people like Anthony Scaramucci, who, who do a $3 billion opportunity fund, right? Somebody like PNC Bank, it's, on, it's in the news now. They've, they announced that they're, they've got a $486 million opportunity fund. Um, these things are popping up left and right. And this is a brand new, brand new thing, right? There are reasons why people are certainly high net worth individuals and people with large and deep pockets and people who control a lot of money 
are so interested in this new um, legislation. Right. Let me explain why. Yeah. Um, that was the next question. I was going to say why. Yeah. <laughs> so by May, all of the Opportunity Zones have been created, right? Um, and what Opportunity Zones um, can do is, is this. Okay, so there's a Qualified Opportunity Zone, and then there's a Qualified Opportunity Fund, right? And what it is, is you take your capital gains, so um, money that you earn from selling stock, selling real estate, um, your capital gains. It's not, it's not money that you earn from a paycheck or um, you know, money you earn from wholesaling, for example, uh, fees and things. No, it's, it has why, to be something. Why is that important? Why, why capital gains and why not just money that they have on the sidelines? Really good question. Two reasons. Um, one, make no mistake about it, this is a, a policy that's intended for the rich to get richer. Right. Right. And a lot of people um, in lower tax brackets don't have capital gains. They, they don't have money that can sit and invest over and over and for years or, or months. Um, and then they can sell it and realize those 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 gains because a lot of people are paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, the second reason is because and this thank you for, for, for asking this question is super important is because in a growth economy over the last 10 or so years. Right. Um, the stock market has increased in value every year. People have been seeing, realizing that their, their stocks are increasing in prices. And when that happens, nobody wants to sell it, right? If I put $10 million into a stock and it jumps up to 11 million and then 12.3 million and then 14 million, I'm not gonna sell, I'm gonna keep riding that wave, right? right? right. Year after year. So after a while, there's a lot of money just sitting on paper mm -hmm. and the federal government this is a federal policy. Opportunity zones are a federal policy. It's not a state policy. The federal government looks at that and they say, um, wait a second, wait a second. We need money to be put towards job creation. We need money to be put towards infrastructure, towards roads, towards um, uh, schools and buildings and, and real estate and all these different things. So over the course of, of these 10 past years, it's been estimated $6.1 trillion is just sitting in stocks. That's just stocks, right? We're not talking real estate. We're not talking all these other things. Yeah. Stocks alone, $6.1 trillion. So it's, it's, it's important that it's capital gains because the federal government wants to provide an incentive for people to sell those stocks and right. realize those gains and then put that money to work, right? And the best way to provide any type of incentive to a wealthy person, make them more money. <laughs> it's interesting because um, before they were lowering taxes to encourage people to invest into the stock market. So they would cut capital gains taxes and they would specifically cut long-term capital gains taxes. And so now they're saying, Hey, all right, <laughs> now let's go ahead and let's put that money to work over here. So right. Just right. How they kind of direct things. The first strategy worked, right? Now it's time to, to, to use that money. Second honestly, if that's any indication of how well that strategy worked, it could be an indication of how well the Opportunity Zone strategy works. So, so what happens is um, there's $6.1 trillion in, in the stock market. Uh, the federal government wants to provide this incentive, right? Um, so Opportunity Zones, how it works is that um, to help people sell their stocks and realize those gains, they've got to provide tax breaks, tax shelters, tax relief, um, so that people actually do this thing. So. Um, the program works so that when you realize your gains, when you sell your stocks off break, as long as you put that money that you realize now into an opportunity fund, a qualified opportunity fund, you get the, to, to defer your capital gains taxes. You don't have to pay any capital gains on that money that you, that you just made, right? Um, if you keep it in the fund for five years, then you get a 10% step up in your tax basis. And what that basically means is that 10% um, step up in your basis, you only pay taxes on 90% of it. If you keep it in for seven years, keep that opportunity, that capital gains into your fund for seven years, then you only pay taxes on 85% of the money, right? So 15% of your money, you don't have to pay taxes on. And that's, and that's great. But the real bank, the real bank for the buck is if you keep it in a fund for 10 or more years, then you don't have to pay capital gains taxes on any of it federal capital gains taxes. You don't have to pay on any, any of it. So there's an initial deferral. If you sell after five years, you sell your interest in this fund and you, you get that money back and you pay taxes on 90% of it. Seven years, 
10 years, you don't have to pay on any of it. Additionally, if, if the money you put into that fund invest in a property or a business, qualified opportunity zone property or qualified opportunity zone business, and it appreciates in value, you don't have to pay capital gains taxes, federal capital gains taxes on that appreciation either. So it really is a remarkable program. We're going to do a quick example because I know it's, I just spit a lot of information and some people are, um, you know, audio visual learners and, and those types of things. If I had a whiteboard, I would hook you up, but, uh, but that's okay. We can use some, some pretty straightforward numbers. So let's say um, somebody buys a stock for, you know, $50,000 and they sell it for 150, right? Your Google stock appreciated. You've got $100,000 of capital gains. You have a pen? Oh, we could we could do it right here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. So let's go with a hundred thousand dollars. You've got a hundred thousand dollars in capital gains. Perfect. So then there's a there's a immediate mark where there's a de deferral. Uh, if you could also write capital gains taxes are typically somewhere between fifteen percent and thirty five percent. So then there's a there's a five year mark. There's a seven year mark, and then there's a ten plus year mark. And you can go straight down on those. Yeah. So if you sell your interest, if you you realize those gains, you put it into a qualified fund, and you sell your interest in that fund in five years, then you have to pay taxes on 90% of it for the five-year mark, so 90,000 so 90, bucks. Yep. If you sell it in seven years, then you have to pay taxes on 85,000 bucks. And if you sell it after 10 years, then you don't have to pay taxes, capital gains taxes on it. It's a free hundred grand. And if that, if that fund happens to invest in the next tech startup or, um, or um, you know, a real estate play that's gonna boom over the next couple of years and it's worth a million, you don't have to pay capital gains taxes on that either. So it's the 100K, but it's going like this. Mm -hmm. So if that 100K turns to a half a million and you hold it for five years, you're paying 90% of the half a million. Exactly. But you, so you get 10% of a million for free. Exactly. So you get $50,000 tax-free. You're paying taxes on 450000 in that example. It's, it's, it's really a huge, huge incentive for people to sell their stocks, realize their gains, put those gains into qualified opportunity funds, um, and let that money sit. Yeah. Yep. How does this affect people that live in those communities? Really good question. So um, when I look at the maps, and I look at them pretty, pretty often at this point, um, I look at them and they're all low income census tracts, right? They're the 25% low income census tracts. A lot of governors have selected their lowest income census tracts. Other governors have said, okay, I know of different projects that happen to be in these census tracts. Let me cho choose those so we can funnel money in, in, into those. Either way, um, in 10 years, those are not going to be low income census tracts. Right. Because that's where that $6.1 trillion is coming. If you live in an opportunity zone, if your family, your friends, somebody lives in an opportunity zone, um, who you know, um, there's going to be a, an increase in that property value over the next 10, 10 years yeah. because that $6.1 trillion is coming. Yeah. So I've looked at an opportunity zone map because we own multiple properties and I was pissed off because none of our properties landed in the opportunity zone. Ah, but that's okay. And that's, that's okay. what my question yeah, my, is like, how does that affect people who are close to an opportunity zone? but aren't in one. Same thing. If you live adjacent to one, you're going to get some residual effect. Right. Um, and what, what we're trying to do here at Charm City Buyers is equip people with the knowledge and the information to help them as this stuff starts to happen and continues to, to, to happen. So we're getting tapped by people who want to start investing in Baltimore. And they're like, look, I've got between, I've got a fund. I've already started. I've got between 3 million and $25 million to deploy in projects. Um, where are the projects? Right? And if we know that that fund is looking at specific zip codes, we can let people know like, hey, your zip code is, is about to get some, a lot of money coming in. Right? We know somebody who literally said, I want to invest in this zip code specifically. Right? Um, so people can start doing things like, um, like uh, uh, filling out paperwork for the Homestead Tax Credit, um, which is a tax credit that most states have now that will protect your property from a sudden increase in, in property taxes. Um, over five years, over 10 years, it really depends on where you live, but um, going from $500 on a fixed income, older couple, mom and dad, whatever, um, 
in property taxes up to $5,000 that's you know, forcing people to, to, to move out and transition into different housing. Mm -hmm. um, this, this program will help you incrementally 500, 1,000, 1,500, you know, 2,000 over the course of a number of years um, so that you can adjust to this new property tax. And there are so many different tax, tax incentives that help people. There's renters tax incentives. There's so many different tax incentives. And we try to share as much as possible um, through our platform and through the information that, that we're gathering um, to help people navigate that. That's why, that's why we're, we're, we're two of us, man. We got to be in the backgrounds learning this stuff so we can spread it. <laughs> yeah, yep. How does somebody create an opportunity zone fund? Great question. So um, people have announced that they have created opportunity funds. And um, let me get back to the timeline in a second. But um, to answer your question, um, the paperwork isn't ready yet. Nobody can officially create an opportunity fund yet because the, the documents from the Fed side, from uh, Treasury or SEC, it's, it's, not, it's not done yet. There are draft forms available, and I'm happy to share those for anybody who's interested um, jumping on our, on our platform again. Um, but there are no finalized versions. So let me get back to the timeline a bit. Sorry about that. Um, in, in May, every governor decided, okay, these are our 25% low income census tracts. Um, these are opportunity funds, period. Well, opportunity zones, excuse me, period. In June of 2018, PNC Bank, early adopter, very early. If you, I'm sure you're, you're business savvy. Um, there's the, the bell curve of people who adopt new, new trends, right? Whether it's the iPhone or opportunity zones. Um, early adopters are in, in the beginning of the bell curve, a very small percentage of people. Then there's the early ma majority who, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, major, a large chunk of people and they're, they're early. Then there's the late ma majority. And then there's the laggards, right? And I don't mean to cover my face, but you get the bell curve. It's kind of like um, Yeah. So PNC was an early ad adopter. In June of 2018, um, this stuff had just come out really six months ago. Uh, they sold a bunch of stock and they started a $486 million opportunity fund. They announced it here um, at the uh, uh, Department of, uh, sorry, DHCD. Department of Community Development in Maryland, a conference that I went to, Opportunity Zone Conference, and they were all excited about it. And we were, everybody in the crowd was excited too. Um, that was the first and the largest fund that I had heard of at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I served on an Opportunity Zone panel to help people understand it. Um, I've, I've had a colleague go down to the New Orleans conference that was um, in the fall of, of, of this year, um, where she met with you know, a thousand people who are all interested from people who work in small family offices who control a, a lot of money to um, uh, CDEs, which are community development entities. Yep. Um, everybody who really attends the new market tax credit co conferences, they yeah. were here and more. Um, that about 900 of them were uh, really business focused, money focused people, bottom line fo focused people, small family offices, hedge funds, REITs, those types of industries. Uh, she said about a hundred of them were CDEs, community development entities, those who are, who are focused on the doing good part of the Opportunity Zone. So anyway, um, uh, that all stuff happened in the summer of 2018 into the early fall of 2018 and everybody was wondering, you know, when are the regulations going to come out? We need updated regulations to better understand the business side of it because it's not just a real estate play, it's a business play also. If you're starting a business, you want to start in the Opportunity Zone. Um, we need to better understand um, what SIN businesses are. Um, as as uh, defined currently, SIN businesses are ineligible for opportunity funds, just like they're ineligible for new market tax credit um, funding. And and under 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 new market tax credit, SIN businesses are things like um, uh, anything that that that's main revenue stream is gambling, um, anything that. Uh, uh, you're, you're buying alcohol for consumption offsite. So, you know, if you're a, a liquor store or a package goods stores, whatever you, wherever you are, whatever they call them, but a bar could typically, could, could, is consumption on-site. So that doesn't count as a, as a sin business. A brewery doesn't count. Um, private golf course, massage parlors, public golf courses, all those types of things are sin businesses. We're trying, we're waiting right now to figure out whether cannabis is going to be considered a sin business, Probably uh, whether it's ineligible or eligible for opportunity zone funding. Um, 
Anyway, so everybody was wondering, where are the updated regulations? We need to know where the documents are, where we need to fill out, um, what's going on, blah, 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 blah. I'll tell you, in September of 2018, they hadn't even staffed this department, right? That's how new it was. That's how little red tape there, there was. Um, very, very much a um, money-making money policy. So it, on October the 19th of 2018, the updated regulations came out. 74-page document that better explain how this Opportunity Zone thing would work and, and operate. Um, but it still didn't give all of the picture, right? Um, it still had a lot of questions. So, excuse me, um, October 19th, it came out. There's a 60-day a window where people can, professionals and, and experts and SMEs, uh, subject matter experts, can analyze it, understand it, and ask questions. And there's going to be a public hearing in DC, I'm gonna be there January the 10th um, to ask all questions, to hear questions being asked so that those who, who created the legislation can go back, take in the general public's um, wants and needs and, and draft them into a final regulation document which is uh, to come out in the second quarter of 2019. Um, so like there's a, there's a whole process and different things happening. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's happening fast. I'll tell you, for, for the policy to come out in December and for a large international bank like PNC, six months later to say that they're gonna fund it, almost $500 million, like it's, it's happening. <laughs> so it sounds like when you <clears throat> made reference to PNC and the bell curve, that it's your, I guess, projection that we're gonna see more and more banks come online and start to participate. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Yep, no doubt about it. More banks will come online. Um, more private firms will come online. There's there's little regulation around this. Um, some of the draft documents to, to to fill out to say yes, I have a qualified opportunity fund. Two page document, right? I've got the draft. I've, I've read it. I've looked at it. There are instructions. Um, it's it's there's very little red tape. So a large bank can do it. Uh, a private equity firm can do it. Um, if you've got capital gains yourself, you could probably form a fund as a tax shelter. Um, there's all kinds of ways to do it. And we explain how to do it in our masterclass, our opportunity to masterclass. We, we, we have all the documents, the map links. We've got the 8,700 opportunity zones on a spreadsheet. We've got um, all the draft documents, all the, the, the regulation documents, both those sections um, that I, I referenced earlier. And we share all that information along with updated opportunity funds as we learn about them. So if you yourself are looking for opportunity zone funding to come and inject into a property, uh, we'll, we'll share that information. If you're just curious, hey, I live in an opportunity zone, I just wanna know when a fund is gonna come up and when it's gonna impact me so I can start filling out this homestead tax credit and, and all this kind of stuff, we share that information too. Um, it's really an exciting time for, for economy and um, I know, I, I know you're, you're dying to ask a question. I'm going to wrap it up. We, um, it's, no, it's, I was just, I was, it's interesting that you say that, but yeah, um, it finally yeah. clicked what you were getting at with Homestead and how it connects to Opportunity Zones. Got it. Yes, yes, yes. Because, you know, when that $6.1 trillion comes into somebody's backyard, they better have done their paperwork so that as their property value go, goes up, they can handle that increase in property taxes. Right, right. Um, by filling out forms like the Homestead Tax Credit form. Yeah, it's, it's an exciting time, man. We're, um, we're looking at kind of what's happening with interest rates rising. And um, in June, there was a record low in recent history and recent being the last couple of years in home sales. Um, and that kind of startled people for a second. Um, but with this, this money coming in from the private sector, it might keep the economy propped up, depending on how many, how many people sell and re realize their gains and put it into opportunity funds. Um, there's a very large chance that, that this dip um, or this market correction um, you know, is, is less substantial than we're all predicting. One of the interesting things, I had this conversation with Aisha when she was out here and I told her, she was like, why are you investing in Michigan? And I told her because I think that a lot of these areas are overvalued. And I think that what's going to happen is people are going to have to find value somewhere because you can't make money in California, in my opinion, and other people's opinions, you can't make money in California you for the most part can't make money in DC. People who made money in DC are now looking for opportunities outside of DC. Yep. So then Opportunity Zone comes along 
and it causes people to have to, because the thing about capital gains is you don't get capital gains unless you sell. Selling right. creates a sell, creates reduction in value. Because the blind, right? Well, that also, yeah. So it's kind of interesting because you're going to start to see what we're seeing in the stock market where it's a sell-off. And so people are selling substantially, which then causes a drop in value, but creates a buying opportunity for people who can kind of recognize that buying opportunity. So then it props it up like what you were saying. So it, it kind of like balances itself out. Right, right. And that's what you know, Kiara asked me the other day, that exact question. Like, hey, so you know, I get that money's going to come into these low-income census tracts and, and prop things up. But we got to think about what's going to happen to the stock market. Right? <laughs> that yeah. exact question. Um, right. right. Nobody really knows quite, quite sure what's going to happen. Yeah. It all depends on how much, how many sales happen. Yeah. I just, I, I always tell people like the goal is to just keep buying. Like if the stocks fall, just keep buying and keep yeah. buying it down because that's the buying opportunity that you've been waiting for. Everybody, they, they say buy low. And then when they get the low opportunity, then they're like, ah, it might go lower. And so it's like, <laughs> buy it anyway. And then if it goes lower, buy some more of that. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So I want to run through these questions and it's so funny because I think the question when you started talking about homesteads, um, and the opportunity zone, it actually leads right into a question. So I'm going to go with that one and then I'll circle back. But the question is, I have a home that's in an opportunity zone. What should I do? Great question. So my, my first response would be, is it an investment property or is it your primary home? My next question would be, um, um, you know, if it is your primary home, we can kind of go through that path of, um, you know, do those documents, the homestead tax credit, look into those, those ways of protecting yourself. And maybe you want to, you, you're, you're ready to move, right? And if you are, that's okay. Wait a couple of years when your property value shoots up and then, um, then get ready to sell. Um, if it's an investment property, then you want to start learning about where the funds are. Um, because pretty soon bankers, um, private lenders, um, everybody's going to start saying, okay, the first question when you go to ask for a loan for a real estate development play is going to be, are you in an opportunity zone? And if you can answer yes, great. Excellent. We can help you. If you can, if you answer no, you know, we can still help you, but you know, <laughs> that whole thing. So if, if it's an investment property, um, my suggestion would be to, uh, find a local opportunity zone, a qualified opportunity fund, um, find a qualified opportunity fund and, um, you know, talk to them about your investment opportunity and, um, and find a way to make it work for them and for you and um, develop that property. Nice. Yeah. Because a lot of people might have like grandparents who are in an opportunity zone. Yep. And so this information would help them help their grandparents. I mean, my grandma lives in Georgia and she bought this house maybe about 20 years ago. She paid like close to nothing, like 40 grand for the house. Um, and now you look up, and there's all these properties that are starting to kind of be revitalized. Mm -hmm. And um, it's like, I need to figure out like, what am I going to do to help her? And I was literally thinking about the whole property tax things that happened. Like now these homes are selling for like 200, 250, which could ultimately affect her property taxes, which could at 40 grand be more than her mortgage. <laughs> right. Seriously. I mean, that's, it's scary. It's scary how quickly that type of stuff can happen. And it's, it's your grandparents. It's, other people's grandparents it's a whole generation of people who could be impacted by this right. we want to make sure that's why this is so important i mean there's so many things why it's important but it's like you hate to be in a situation where some legislation pops up and then your grandma gets her house taken and then 15 years later we start dissecting it and figuring out like oh that's what they did it's like it's too late then you need too to late. there's another policy that's on on the rise at that point right and that's why when you said that you guys try to stay a year ahead, that was so profound because so many of us are aiming to start 2019, but it seems like your head's already in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're looking at ways to um, start a fund. We're yeah. looking at ways with some capital gains because we've got these seven active projects, right? So we have to sell all of them and then realize those gains, put them into a fund, that's tell other people about it some more so we can really accumulate a substantial fund. Yeah. And they're all Types of different things that are on the table at this point we are we're, we're a year ahead at this point yeah and i think that's so dope because if you really do the roi math 
once you factor in the flips into not having to pay capital gains tax on those flips, then putting it into another likely flip or rehab project, your, your ROI is off the charts. Exactly. Exactly. Now that, that, that brings up a, a really good point. Now there, there are questions, um, and I'm sure this will come up during the public hearing on January 10th. Um, they haven't quite decided how flips will operate. Um, I'm sure a lot of people are going to ask and, and push for flips to be part of it. But again, the, the money has to sit for 10 years to really gain the benefit. You do a flip in six months, three, three months, you know, it's, it's, it's fast money. Right, um, right, it doesn't right. sit for, for, for long enough. I think that the goal and what I'm hearing about is that the goal is going to be for, um, for a business to uh, capital gains to be realized, it to be put into a fund, the fund deploy the money into a business and that business deploys money in, into a flip. And when that flip sells, the money comes back to that business Jeez. over and over again. And that will be, I think that's, that's going to be where um, people are going to push for the legislation to approve flips. Wow. Um, as long as it goes back and forth into an operating, a qualified operating business that's established in an opportunity zone. Um, but again, there's, there's, there's no regulation around it yet. There's no regulation around that. Cannabis operating businesses in general are very, it's very loose. Um, what's being talked about and how it's being um, monitored and defined. And that's, that's largely because the policy was created by real estate developers, right? So they're going to, they're going to figure their side out first. Um, but the goal is to create businesses that create jobs in these low income census tracts so that economy in those low income census tracts can spur right. and the people can, can thrive. Yeah, I think this is very important because it, it speaks to a lot of issues in America. It speaks to how the, the major cities have been doing well in this economy, whereas like a lot of the overlooked areas have kind of gone to nothing. And so people were looking for a solution, like how can we solve this gap between the ultra wealthy 1% and yep. then the not so wealthy and I think it's also important because, I mean, maybe it'll help create that middle class that we've been lacking for so long. So it's like, yeah, the low income area is not going to exist. And that's because it's been turned into a middle class neighborhood again. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, if that's what happens, great. I think. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Right. Um, if all these low income census tracts then become moderate income census tracts, moderate to high income census tracts, depending on where they are. And it's across the board. It's every state. Yeah. Um, yeah. Puerto Rico is the only exception. And that's how I got introduced to the Opportunity Zones initially. Um, I remember, so I, I had a, a family member um, who shortly after the two hurricanes in 2017, uh, August and September of 2017, um, she went down and, and she started to volunteer heavily um, to the point where she was um, contacted by FEMA and they, they offered her a position. Um, and her role was to essentially take federal money um, and uh, uh, figure out a way to, to provide it to the local Puerto Ricans who needed to rebuild their businesses, rebuild their houses, rebuild their lives. Mm -hmm. uh, and in speaking with her pretty frequently um, and learning about how the island was navigating its own difficulties and its troubles, um, I, I started to really fall in love with the island to the point where um, I'm like, man, we need to buy a property here. Like we need to start investing here. So Kiera and I went down and spent a week and we talked to architects and we, we met with former developers and you know, we, we started to really pick and probe at the island. Well, um, then, we, then I, I recently found out this Opportunity Zone stuff. And in looking at it and the 25% and everything, except Puerto Rico being 100%, literally 100% of That's the local crazy. tracks in Puerto Rico can be our, our qualified Opportunity Zones. Wow. That's the exact reaction I had. It's like, wow. <laughs> I was like, wait a second, why? What's going, why, right? Um, so you dig a lot deeper and the fiscal plan came out in April of 2018 for, for Puerto Rico. It's a 250 page document that explains from healthcare to schools to everything else in between, um, you know, what the island plans to do over the next five to 10 years um, to correct what's going on there. That coupled with 100% um, opportunity zones, I was like, wow, this is like a no brainer. It makes a lot of sense at this point. And then I just dove so deep into opportunity zones. Yeah. So while Kiera was pushing the brand and growing the followers and, um, 
you know, both her and I were still navigating the, the, the rentals and the, um, the flips and things and, and the day-to-day the -day things. But while she was in the front end doing a lot of social media, I was in the back end doing a lot of research right. so we could right. prepare ourselves for these next couple of things. And it's cyclical. I'll tell you, I, I, her and I say it to each other all the, the, the time. If I'm tired um, today and she's got a ton of energy, great. That's, that's perfect. We never hate on each other. I'm like, beautiful. Do your thing. I love you. Um, because next week, you're going to be tired and I'm going to have a, a lot of energy and I've got to go back and do all this kind of stuff. So right now with opportunity zones popping up, I can, I can be more in, in the front of social media and the spotlight and everything. Um, and there may be another thing that she's researching right now and getting to know and learning and, um, and grooming so that when it's time, she can come out and do some amazing things and talk about it and, and share the knowledge. And, I feel um, like it's the ultimate hack. And <laughs> California it's way different and so like I'll make this point about like how you don't see a lot of like married couples in California like I always tell people like just in my my mom's side of the family alone like most of my cousins are married um and I feel like we don't struggle from necessarily necessarily like poverty we struggle from a lack of teamwork mm. have that team you yeah. win so that's my one point because I mean Charm City buyers you guys are doing major things the next thing is about Puerto Rico. I spotted the opportunity in Puerto Rico when I was out there, I think three years ago. Okay, nice. We were on the beach and we were at the Marriott. And then you like, I'm hoping that you know what I'm talking about when I explain this. I walked like two hotels down and there is this just like vacant hotel. Yes. And I was like, I need that. <laughs> and that is, that's, that's my hotel. That's what I want. And so I brought the opportunity because I work in a family office and I told the guy there, I was like, hey, I want to turn this into a hotel. Let's do it. And he's like, I'm not investing in Puerto Rico. I'm not investing in Puerto Rico. But the same guy is the person who introduced me to Opportunity Zones. He said, hey, okay. go research this. Go look at this. Um, but to learn that the whole island, because that's one thing that's kind of um, disheartening to me is hearing about the greatness and then going and looking and seeing that none of my properties <laughs> are inside of an Opportunity Zone. So then mm -hmm. to know that the whole island is there, I think that's huge. I think there's a ton of opportunity, but one of the things the question I'm going to ask you, which might kind of, you can answer from your own experience is sometimes when you spot an opportunity, first and foremost, it's not going to be obvious to the average person. The second is sometimes you might have to wait. How have you guys experienced that in investing in Baltimore? Because I mean, you guys are doing properties that are complete gut rehab. So obviously it's a property that other people are overlooking and that you guys use that knowledge of what could be there to be successful in what you're doing. Yeah, no, that's a that's a very good question, and it's um, it's, I mean, it, I, I could say it's an incredible vision. Kiara, one of her her um, really powerful uh, positive traits when it comes specifically to real estate development is that she is phenomenal at finding the deals. I mean, she is really good at it. I'm, I'm nowhere near as good as she is. She, she looks at it, she does the numbers, she has the insight, she finds it, and she's like, this is, this is the one. So every deal we found, she's found. Um, I think I found one and it was almost a dud. <laughs> so um, that's, that's, that's where she's, she's really strong. So finding the deals in, in Baltimore um, can be a little tricky and I'll tell you, so Baltimore was once a one million person city. Um, that was the population. Um, so they had houses to support a million people. Well, today we've got about 620,000 people. So there are literally not enough people for the housing, right? Um, so you've got to be very careful. There's a ton of blighted properties. You can get a property for a thousand bucks, 5,000 bucks, um, but you got to be very, very careful. So um, um, finding the properties, uh, Kiara is really good at, and then developing and, and, and moving the properties, whether that's a rental or a sale, we just use who, who we are, right? We're young, we're African-American, we're ambitious, we got a kid, we're married, right? We, we have this, this whole thing going, which um, I love it because it's authentic, and then other people love it because um, they, people want it too, right? It's, it's part of the American dream. You own a house, you own a business, you're married, you have kids, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we tell our story. Right. Um, and, and that's part of what, what we're gearing up for for 2019, being able to, to more formalize our developer story right, in a way that, that says, hey, this is us. 
This is what we're about. We love giving back to, to kids and paying forward. Uh, we love educating people on what we're doing and how they can do it. We're selfless with what we share. Um, and, and people look at that and they say, okay, do I want to buy this house next door? Or do I want to buy this person's house who you know, is, is pushing for a positive, a, a greater Baltimore? I think it's a, a, a no-brainer at that point. So that's, that's kind of our niche um, where we excel um, is that if, if we happen to find a house that's in a not-so-great area, we can tell our story and we can hopefully attract uh, a renter, a buyer, um, an investor, uh, some private money. Um, all those different types of things. And we've been doing it since we started. I mean, that's, that's how we grew. We told our story over and over and over. And we heard a lot of no's, but then we got some yeses. And um, fast forward, and here we are. And I, I want to make one quick clarification with Puerto Rico. So um, 100% of its low-income census tracts uh, are in opportunity zone. Right? Okay. There are still a few moderate and high-income census tracts in, in, in the island. So I probably can't get my hotel in the Opportunity Zone. You know, you, you'd be surprised what's, what's the Opportunity Zone. <laughs> if, be nice if, too. If, the, if the governor is looking at it and they say, hmm, we want a lot of money, $6.1 trillion to go along this waterfront. So like the Baltimore Harbor, there's a lot of the Baltimore Harbor that's in an op Opportunity Zone because the governor wants the Baltimore Harbor developed. Yeah. Right? Um, and it happens to be a low income census tract too. It's a win-win for everybody. Right, right. And years later, there's going to be all kind of bars and co-working spaces and restaurants and mm -hmm. who knows what else. Pretty sure the governor had some help in, in identifying these tracks. I'm pretty sure there are some very powerful business leaders and community leaders who have written strongly worded letters to <laughs> encourage governors of every state Man. to create their, their specific project and an opportunity zone. What caused you to draw so much interest in the Opportunity Zone topic? Um, Puerto Rico. That was a big piece of it. Uh, Puerto Rico was a big piece of it. And then just like, like hearing about it, um, the universe. I mean, it's, I, I hate to go really deep and philosophical, but when the universe presents things to me multiple times, I pay attention. Um, so like in the same week almost, Puerto Rico came up, Opportunity Zone Puerto Rico, okay. And then somebody else had mentioned it, a guy named Michael out of New York um, had mentioned if I had known anything about it and I started to research it. Um, and then I just, I just dove all the way in. <laughs> Although I wanted to learn everything about it. It's, it's new. So I was like, okay, now's the time to get in. Um, and my goal with our masterclass is to get people um, who purchase it before January 10th, 100% up, up to date. They're gonna know everything there is to know about it um, until now. And then as we update the masterclass after January 10th, we'll provide an update. When the new regulations come out again in the second quarter of 2019, we'll provide an update and we'll keep people update, updated on, on, on what's going on. Um, and I just wanted a quick quick shout out to you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, we're, we're so happy to be able to extend a 30% discount um, to anybody who listens to, to this podcast, if they're interested in purchasing the masterclass, I think you have a link that you'll share um, for anybody who, who does purchase that masterclass. I do. I do. Um, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's how we'll connect people to that is that link, which will be in the show notes. So look out for that, guys. A lot of people... Yeah, when I, they, I got interested in Opportunity Zones through Puerto Rico and then just diving all the way in. A lot of people, when they hear about um, low income, they call it the hood. Mm. But it's also called an opportunity. So mm -hmm. my question is, is it an opportunity or is it the hood? Really good question. It's, it can be seen as both. Um, in the state of Maryland, and I want to get this right, there are 149 opportunity zones, the entire state. Um, the state of Texas, there are over 600 opportunity zones. So that just kind of gives you an idea of, of scalability. But in, in Maryland, there's 149 opportunity zones. In Baltimore City, there are 47 opportunity zones. So we've got about a third of all the opportunity zones in the entire state. Um, but there are still some areas I drive around and I see so many blighted properties. I'm like, there's, there's no way this is not in an opportunity zone. And it's not, right? Um, it, really, it, it really depends on who the governor is at that time and, and how they choose which low-income census tracts were going to be designated as opportunity zones. The legislation says that the, the, the opportunity zones that have already been chosen are not going to change for the next 10 years. Right? Those are the zones. That's it. Um, there's no switching out and swapping and anything unless, 
you know, additional legislation comes out that, that, that allows for it at this point, for the next 10 years, these are the zones, period. So there are some areas, back to your question, there are some quote unquote hoods that are not opportunity zones. There are some um, places where you would not expect opportunity zones um, to be currently opportunity zones because they are low income census tracts um, and, and everything in, in between. So, um, you know, yes, hoods, opportunity, are one and the same. No, hoods and opportunity are not one and the same. It really depends on which which census tract. So before this interview, I listened to a podcast because I wanted to kind of have more information about opportunity zones. <clears throat> and they gave this example and they were basically saying that one big reason for designating places opportunity zones is because a lot of people don't want to be the only investor in that community. But if you designated an opportunity zone, then that's going to allow people to go in there and change the entire community versus just picking off a map saying, this looks good, this zip code looks good, this zip code looks good. It could be helpful to everybody because then, like you said, you have that der derivative uh, effect. Yes. So, yeah. Yes, absolutely. If you get critical mass in one area, you can certainly change that area. Um, you get critical mass financially, critical mass in terms of vision and knowledge. Um, you can change that area in a way that one person or one company or one group um, wouldn't be able to do. Right. Um, right. And what, what often happens with, with these types of before opportunity zones, um, a developer would come in and they do a large building um, and that's all they would have the bandwidth for. Yeah. Um, and smaller developers would come in and do the houses around that building right, and build it out and build it out. And that's, that's again, critical mass. Um, now that gives the chance for, for developers to come in with multiple people, um, small or large, and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to attack this zip, zip code. Yeah. We've got um, opportunity zone funding to, to our advantage. We've got new market tax credit funding to our advantage. We've got federal historic tax credit um, funding to our advantage. We've got state historic tax credit. We may have some lie tech housing, like all these different, different things to provide that critical mass, that big lift so that the capital stack is as full as possible. There's very little equity um, and people can, can really transform areas. I feel like we've, we've asked all the questions in some form. <laughs> I don't want to hold you, but if there's anything you want to leave the listeners with, what would, what would those things be? Um, biggest thing I would leave the listeners with is to be prepared. Um, do not sit on the sidelines. Do not wait this thing out. Do not... Um, wait for for it to be a problem um, before you start to act be prepared get prepared get your knowledge up research Google if you don't buy the, the, the master class if you don't decide to, to join the master class then join something learn something about it so that you're ready um, but you know look at the master class as as an option click on the link scroll through the different things that that we're going to talk about we go through the, the history, obviously, we want everybody to have that base understanding of what opportunity zones are. Um, we go through uh, uh, different, different funding structures. We go through all of the documents, including the maps and, and everything that, that you need if you wanna learn more about opportunity zones and you wanna form one yourself, uh, opportunity fund. We go through how opportunity funds couple with new market tax credits, how opportunity funds couple with uh, historic tax credits for those who are um, a little more advanced in their real estate development journey. Um, opportunity zones and live tech, opportunity zones and, um, and all these different, different incentive programs. Um, we go through um, kind of everything soup to nuts about opportunity zones and it's a constantly evolving thing. So the price of the program, the masterclass is gonna increase because I'm gonna have to continually do work and update it and, and, and add, add things to it. Um, so if you lock it in now, you're locked in, you don't have to worry about it, you get those updates as they come on a very regular basis. Uh, you get the 30% discount if you use the, uh, the, the Todd Millionaire code. The code is Millionaire. Um, again, the code is Millionaire with an M. Um, my Baltimore accent sometimes escapes me. <laughs> um, but uh, for, for those who are listening, jump into that masterclass. I wanna educate you so that you can educate your friends and your family and that they're they're all protected um and ready for what's already happening so to kind of tag on to that i think that it's very important to invest in people who have already done the work 
Um, a lot of times people will invest in college and they'll invest in people who are going to teach you how to build a business, but they've never built a business. Well, Charm City Virus has already built a business. And another thing that I think is really important is a lot of times people are looking for that mentor and they're looking to send a DM and get all their answers. People are more willing to work with you if you've invested in yourself and mm -hmm. you've also invested into their products. And so if you have a question, I do it all the time. If somebody's worked with me, I'm going to answer their questions and they can come in any form. It can come through a DM. It can come through a group chat. It can come through a whatever. And yep. I think that if you guys want access to them, invest in that access. So another thing that I think is really important is you're going to get probably 10 times the value of what you're paying for this course. And you're likely going to make your money back a lot faster than you think you will. So I think yep. that there's just so much value in investing in courses. That's one thing I'm looking to do. I'm looking to invest in the Hood Estates trucking course. I'm looking to invest in, I've already invested in the uh, six figure side hustle cut course. So I'm putting my business profits back into my education so that I can double up my business profits. And I think that you guys should be doing the same. Where can people find you personally and where can they find the class? Absolutely. If you click the link that's going to be in the show notes, um, you can get straight to the class. Uh, you can find us on our website, charmcitybuyers.com. We're on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, Twitter, all as Charm City Buyers. Very easy, very clean, Charm City Buyers, everything. Nice, nice. So this has been episode number 83. <clears throat> My name is Charles Oglesby. If you guys are interested in joining either of our investment clubs in one day, the Thai Capital Opportunity Zone Fund, we're definitely going to make it happen. If we're investing in the who, we might as well leverage some tax yeah. while we do it. Yeah, man, absolutely. You can email us at membership at capitaltod.com. You can also find us on the website, www.capitaltod.com. My name is Charles Oglesby, also known as Top Millionaire, signing off.